Blog Talk Radio. Hello, friends, family, neighbors, and uh, colleagues. This is Nick Augustine, and I am your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by Lone Star Content Marketing, brought to you in part by Members' Choice Federal Credit Union in Denton, Texas, on Unicorn Lake Boulevard. You may be eligible to join Members' Choice if you live, work, worship, or attend school in Denton or Argyle, Texas. I join Members' Choice because they're locally owned and operated and offer a level of service I otherwise cannot find. I'd like to remind everyone listening to please share the on-demand links to these episodes when you find them in your social media pages because that's how people find out about great shows and content. Uh, so sharing that information is always always appreciated. Of course, all of our podcast channels and programs are available on our website located at www.lonestarcontentmarketing.com. You can also find our shows on our Law Talk Radio Facebook page. Today's show is episode number 41 in the Building Your Law Practice with Jim Thompson and Nick Augustine series, and today we're talking about emergency planning. Does your law firm have a plan for emergencies? Questions come up. What happens if you encounter a temporary medical condition and you cannot make it to court? Will your law partners step up and handle your cases? Well, what happens if you're a sole practitioner and you have no law partners to step up and handle your cases? Having some standard emergency motions to continue your cases is one thing, but what happens in a period of longer incapacity? Just as we plan for our personal lives, we need to plan for our professional affairs, all sorts of good topics. Jim Thompson on the program with me today has learned a lot about these from his own personal experiences and from hearing from other people, so that is going to be interesting information to share. Um, Jim is, of course, a retired attorney and author of the book, Why Attorneys Fail to Get the Referrals They Deserve and Need to Grow Their Practice and What They Can Do About It. Uh, our show usually talks about marketing today. We're you know, moving on to emergency planning just because it's a good thing to have lined up just in case the unlikely were to occur. Uh, but overall, our, our program, we discuss uh, how to really do better marketing and bring in more clients and run an efficient business. Uh, Jim wrote the book on that, and he will give us the email you can use to request a copy of that book. Um, and my name is Nick Augustine, and my company, Lone Star Content Marketing, helps lawyers share their stories and tips about their practice areas by writing and managing their blog content, their social media, and producing internet, radio, podcasts, newsletters, press releases, and all that other good stuff. All right, so by way of general disclaimer, before we get going here, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with attorney guests among callers and guests on our show cannot give rise to attorney-client relationships, <laughs> and anyone who has specific questions should consult with an attorney in their area. All rights to this broadcast are reserved. It is time to say hello to Jim. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Happy New Year to you. It's hard to believe we're starting a, a whole brand new year and we're we're doing a guest. You mentioned this is uh, podcast number 41. Wow. Um, uh -huh. We well, just um, keep doing this. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's fun. I enjoy doing it. Sometimes the half hour goes, goes too quickly, but uh, I do get people sending questions to me and we'll try to answer those as, as they come in. But what I wanted to, to talk about this morning um, and, and how this came about, and there's some personal, and I'll give you a little personal history on some of it if we have time, 
But uh, for those who are not familiar with uh, a woman by the name of Susan Cartier-Libel, she has a, uh, a business which is called Solo Practice University. And you can go to her website, and it's basically solopracticeuniversity.com. And I'm on a LinkedIn group with her, and one of the articles that was posted by someone in her, well, what she does with the solo practice, she has a number of different folks who post articles and um, give lectures, et cetera. You can get CLE credits, and, and I'll let you go to their website if you're, you're interested. But she had this article uh, that, that one of the folks in her group posted, uh, uh, Laura Loyek, I'm probably going to mispronounce her name, it's L-O-Y-E-K, but she posted this article, and it really hit home for me, and I, I really wanted to share this with, with the lawyers out there. And it, it, the, the title of the article basically was Emergency Planning, Thinking About the Unthinkable. And these are the, the emergency planning things that most lawyers, and quite frankly, I never thought about it when I was practicing law, to be totally honest with you. Uh, you just never think anything's going to, going to happen to you. But there, this whole article, you know, kind of takes you in a little scenario of what happened to a lawyer down in, I think it was North Carolina. It's, it's kind of, you know, that, that, that he got sick and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go into that. You can read the article if you would like the whole article. I'll, I'm glad to send it. But I want to take some points from that article and share them with you because I think that that is really, really important. Um, and, and, you know, as lawyers, we spend a great deal of time, depending on the practice, type of practice you're in, but really probably any practice, you know, trying to educate our clients and trying to get them to plan for things and plan for contingencies. Uh, you know, if you're a corporate lawyer, you're talking about planning for uh, retirement, you're talking about exit plans, you're talking about estate planning. You know, if you're a PI lawyer, you're talking about preparing a client for the trial, et cetera, et cetera. And as lawyers, we do this. This is our job. But one of the things we don't do as lawyers is plan for ourselves. You know, the old uh, saying that the cobbler's kids have no shoes and, and this type of thing. And, 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 and the, the gist of it is, why don't we plan? And it's, it's when I talk, and, and I've been talking since this article came out about three weeks ago, I've been talking to some of my clients, the lawyer clients I have, and I've been asking them about this. And I would bet, uh, I didn't do a specific count on them, but probably close to 95% of the lawyers I spoke with, this was a, a new subject or a new topic to them. It's something they had not thought about. And so I wanted to share this with, with uh, the lawyers uh, that are listening to this and will listen to this program uh, as, as something to think about in the coming new year. And we'll talk more about lawyers getting business, et cetera, in future shows. But I think this is, this is such an important topic. I wanted to get it, get it out right away at the beginning of the year. And, you know, we, we, we think in terms of nothing is ever going to happen to us. We, we as lawyers, um, especially the younger guys, you know, the guys that are 25, 26, 30 years old, nothing is ever going to happen to them. We're invincible. As we get a bit older, you start thinking about it, but do we really act on, on you know, the, the planning we should be taking? And then, you know, you get to, you know, the ripe old age of 60 or so, and you're still in this, well, nothing's going to happen to me. I've made it this far, and okay, that's fine. Now, we're all susceptible, obviously, to, to getting serious illness, uh, 
and things of that nature. And, and as a younger lawyer, you don't think about, well, I'm going to get, you know, uh, a serious illness that's going to be, the, you know, put me out of commission for uh, six months, a year, even two months. And and we don't want to think about those things. And it's like, and I'm sure anybody that has an estate planning practice uh, or even a solo who does a, a number of different things, when they talk to lawyer or talk to clients about doing wills, it's it's always yeah, but I don't want to think about that because I'm I'm talking about death and I don't want to think about death and you know how that all goes and, and the excuses although they may not tell you that's an excuse for not getting a will done, we know that that's probably um, one of the biggest reasons. So lawyers are not thinking about planning ahead and what could happen to them. And I, I, I take this down to the the lawyer who, you know, he just opened his practice and he's been in practice for, you know, maybe a year. He's got a really good practice going and he's making a lot of money and, and he's doing really well and he gets into a car accident. Okay. Now he's in a car accident. He doesn't get killed, but he is injured so severely that, that he's going to be laid up in a hospital bed for, you know, a month or two months or whatever the case may be. And so he's got this great law practice going. He's unconscious, right? So he doesn't even get to tell anybody about all the cases he's got going and all the court dates he's got going and everything else that needs to be done in his particular law firm because um, he's never thought about it. So so start thinking about, and 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 I say start thinking about it, you know, the thinking about and not taking any action, it's really, you know, don't don't think about it if you're not going to take some action after we get done today talking about this. But, you know, there should be somebody that you can confide in, that you can talk to. And I'm talking about maybe a solo practitioner that uh, you're out there and, and, and you've got a practice going and you're doing well, but maybe you have a law school buddy that practices in the same area you do that you can sit down with and, and discuss this with them and say, okay, you know, here's 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 something I just heard, and I'm, I'm really concerned about this. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but maybe both of us should start thinking about what would happen if something were to happen to either one of us. Mm-hmm. And let that sink in for just a minute. And, and I would bet that the person that you're talking to probably has never thought about this. So... Here's some of the things that, that, that and now, okay, it has also come up. I was I was talking to a, a law firm that had uh, six partners, and you know, all uh, partners, small law firm, all partners, and and generally, a lot of times, even in law firms of of, of you know, small law firms, one, two, three, six, seven, whatever, a lot of the lawyers don't even know what the other lawyers are doing in their law firm. As strange as that may sound. I may not know what you're working on, Nick, and Nick may not know what I'm working on, and, and, and it just creates this, this, you know, well, what happens if if Nick were to be out for, for two or three months? What cases does he have? Where do we even find his files? Maybe his secretary knows what's going on. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe the secretary is not privy to everything that's going on. So so these are a couple of things you really want to talk about. We're going to go a little bit more in, the, in this in, in just a minute. But um, one of the things that it was kind of interesting, this article pointed out, that and, and this was a North Carolina article, but it may even be an ethical violation 
if you don't have some type of planning, because obviously you have an ethical duty to provide competent and diligent representation to your clients. So if you have not pre-planned this, could this possibly lead to a, a, a disciplinary violation? So you need to think in those terms, too. And we're going to talk, again, in, in a little bit a bit about some of the other things you really think about. One of the things that they mentioned in this article, and I thought was you know, pretty neat, who has access to your bank accounts? You know, you've got a, a checking account or a business operating account. You have a, a trust account. Who has access to those accounts besides you? And if you're a solo, quite frankly, probably you're the only one that can write checks. Now, you may have a, an office manager or secretary who can write uh, operating expense checks, but I would venture to say that, that you probably don't give the authority for a, an employee to write a check out of your trust account. Obviously, you want to keep that kind of close to the vest, and, and you be the only one that controls that. But is there someone that should be able to write checks out of your trust account should you become disabled and, and, and unable to do that? And again, we're talking about someone who you have a very high level of trust with. It could be your spouse, uh, you, you know, that that, that you, you let her in on everything. But we also find that when I talk to a lot of lawyers, um, their spouses really have no clue what's going on in their law mm -hmm. practice. And here's another, so here's, it, here's, go ahead. Here, here's a question. Even if the spouse is aware and knowledgeable, what about let's go back, step back a little bit and look at the the professional liability policy. Is that malpractice carrier what what do they require? What do they allow? You may be running afoul not having a plan. You're you know, what if your carrier requires that you have some sort of emergency plan on, on these things, you know, because they're the ones who are going to get potentially subject to liability. I mean, if you think about this, if you are temporarily disabled or unavailable and all your clients and all your cases fall, you know, fall between the cracks, you're going to have all these malpractice claims. And, um, you know, so I would take a look at that too, right quick is the, you know, the liability policy and, and what they require, because it may be stated right in there that you maintain a calendar with duplicate backup of all the current clients and the next court dates and all that, um, you, may, you may be in hot water not even having that, even if nothing happens to you. They do some sort of an audit. Um, you know, so that's one place that I would look. You know, I want to I want to kind of build on that a little bit. And it too, most, most malpractice carriers now are requiring some type of backup plan uh, to, to go along with, and you have to, you know, let them know what your, your plan is, et cetera. But a lot of lawyers will put together something without really giving an awful lot of thought. Yeah, here's my backup plan, blah, 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 blah. And it's it's kind of like writing a business plan. You sit down at the first part of the year and you write a business plan and you stick it in your drawer or your marketing plan, you stick it in your drawer and you never look at it again. So if you have to write a, a contingency plan for, say, your malpractice carrier, you sit down at, say, the beginning of the year and you write out, here's my plan, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, never see it again, never look at it again. Things can change. You know, you may have John Smith, who's your best buddy, um, Who's a, who's a lawyer that practices um, just down the street from you, and you guys are buddies, et cetera, and he moves out of town, okay? Or something happens to him that um, he's no longer available 
maybe he goes to work for a big law firm. Something happens, but you know what? Have you ever gone back in and looked at your plan and said, you know what? Maybe I need to revise this. Even if it's not revised for the malpractice carrier, which you should do anyway, you need to revise it for yourself. Now, I mentioned having your wife on the bank accounts. Um, good idea, bad idea. Again, that's if your spouse uh, has some knowledge, working knowledge of your law firm, that's good. Uh, the same thing goes with who who should be able to write checks out of your operating account. Well, you know, you're, you're injured, you're in a coma, and your secretary comes to visit you. Guess what? She can't talk to you. So, but the bills keep going on. So, should she continue to make the um, uh, the rental payments, the telephone payments? How about this? She doesn't client confident. Go ahead. Client confidentiality. Who you know oh, you yeah. don't you don't have an engagement agreement with with you know Billy down the road maybe a great you know divorce lawyer, but if you have a, a criminal practice there, you know I mean we have uh, you know breach of client confidentiality problems problems there too i mean you know as a lawyer and someone says you know can you talk i mean would you go and talk to someone else's client um you know but but someone's got to inform the client what do you say to the client because you here now, now try to it's like this um imagine this you come back from court things didn't go your way you have 15 seconds to spin a negative uh you know event to something positive you know because the client doesn't know what's going on they're scared they're going to freak out and um, so what do you tell the client when the, the, their lawyer is unavailable, but you don't want to say what's wrong? I'll give this example. I knew someone who uh, they were just getting ready for a normal day and um, ended up pulling it. They pulled something in their back. They're now unavailable. They're, I mean, the guy, had to, he was in the hospital for a while. And, you know, what do you tell the client? Well, a temporary medical condition. Clients are going to want to know, well, when is my lawyer going to be back? And, they, you know, what do you say? Um, especially in a smaller town where everyone, where things, you know, people talk and, you know, oh, so-and-so is my lawyer, they're, they're not, they were not available. Temporary medical condition, people are going to go straight to thinking the worst. All of a sudden, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, funds out there to help, you know, save you from some horrible illness or disease and really just threw your back out, you know, so... Um, yeah. There's a there's so the clients and who's going to talk to them? I'm just going to throw that as another thing to jot down on the how do you deal with list. Yeah, well, you know, when the client comes in and says to the secretary, hey, I understand that uh, Bill has uh, got some medical condition, and so uh, I think I need to take my file to another attorney. Well, it might be right. a, a a temporary medical condition. It might be a long term condition, but you also need to be in a position to be able to, maybe even in your engagement letter, you know, have a paragraph in there that, and here's the other thing too. When people know that something like that has happened, you know, that uh, you're my lawyer and I know that you were in a car accident or, and, and that's obviously pretty straightforward. You can say that the thing they're going to be, the clients are be concerned about is how long are you going to be off my case, whatever, and, and that type of thing. But the medical you know, the, the vagueness of a medical condition, uh, they're not really sure. So they need to be in a position to, you know, the secretary can say, well, you know, this is what the, the contingency plan that John has, and, and he's going to introduce you, or I'm going to introduce you to 
Joe Smith, who's a lawyer who Jim has all this competence in the world in, and and he's going to temporarily take over your case or something of that nature. What I was going to say is most clients, most people, when they know the situation, will be more than um, amenable to doing whatever they need to do to help the lawyer out. I mean, there's going to be some people out there that are going to be receptive to it. Now, you know, getting into that area, okay, um, what motions, you mentioned this briefly, what motions need to be filed with the court to get a stay, to do whatever? You know, and there has to be, even if you have a form in your in your forms file that says, okay, here is a, a motion that we can file on such and such case if something were to happen, um, or here's a standard motion that the court requires. I mean, you know, some courts require uh, or have specific forms that you can go before a judge, and, and most judges obviously are going to be very, very lenient uh, about continuing a case or continuing this, but then you also got to look at what about statute of limitations? You know, you take in a case today and you know the statute, you know, runs in three weeks and you end up getting in a car accident two weeks from now. All of a sudden, nobody knows what's going on with that case. Nobody knows there's a statute of limitations facing you and bingo, you're out for another four weeks after that. All of a sudden, you've missed the statute of limitations. You get sued, and your malpractice carrier comes in and says, you know, wait a minute, you were supposed to have this plan in place, and you didn't. Uh, we're going to deny coverage. This is the type of thing you're going to run into, too. We're going to talk about um, uh, malpractice carriers in just a minute, too. But these, these are things that you need to start thinking about what would happen if. What is the worst-case scenario? You know, I've seen books. I'm sure some of you have seen the worst-case scenario. You know, somebody's got a little uh, pocketbook. The worst-case scenario, if you get bit by a snake. The worst-case scenario, if you get attacked by a shark. You know, you need to have a worst-case scenario for your law firm. If something were to happen, what takes place? Obviously, you need to have a, a very good calendar of what's going on. And not just a calendar of court dates, but a calendar of, okay, I took in a case uh, for John Smith, and this is what we're going to do. It's a personal injury case, uh, automobile accident case. He came into the office late. We got a statute of limitations problem facing us in three weeks. Okay, boom. Why is that on a court calendar? Because if something like this were to happen to you, that not only you know reminds everybody else. Now, I'm talking about also... Um, within your particular law firm. If you're a solo, that's one thing. If you are practicing with other folks, everybody has to have access to your calendar so that if something were to happen to you, they could go into your calendar and see what is going on with your cases. And, and, and again, uh, when I've talked to some law firms in the past three or four weeks and just asked them about this, oh, yeah, I know John's got a calendar and I know Bill's got a calendar. Well, do you have access to his calendar? Oh, no, but if I need something, I can go see his secretary. Well, you know, his secretary got fired two days before he got injured. You need to have some system in your law firm where you can get into everybody's calendar. I mean, and, and in today's, the, the way um, software and everything else is today, that's fairly easy to do. You can You can get into everybody's calendar in your law firm. Again, if you're a solo, one of your buddies, your you know that that you know, like and trust, it's going to 
back you up and you're going to back him up, has access to your calendar. So if he knows that you were in a car accident or something happens, he can you know, pop up on a screen your calendar to see everything that's going on in the next month, etc. So this is something you really, really need to be cognizant of. Um, now, um, and, and where you are in, in, in what particular state, your, your, your bar association may help you with this. Your malpractice carrier may also, and, and could be a really good source of, of, of information and what you need to have in your um, uh, emergency plan. I know there's some, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Lawyers Mutual, I believe, has a, has a real good session or session on planning ahead and practice agreements, guides, checklists, you, form letters, things of this nature. Go you ahead. might I'm even sorry. be able to get CLE credits for some of those. I'm just thinking there's got to be those out there. If not, the ABA um, has a huge library. I mean, people don't realize how many publications the American Bar Association has out there. Um, I, you know, I, again, I, you could probably get CLE credit and learning how to do this. Oh yeah, um, and if the bars, well, forget it. So, so you don't get CLE Jim, credit. Jim, you Who should be, Wait a second. Hold the phone, Jim Thompson. You should be a CLE. You can get CLE credits. You all you have to do is apply. You set this up. You can give a whole thing on this, and um, you know, make some money. Yeah, put, 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 put the, everybody yeah, put that put that in with everything else I'm doing, but that's okay. But um, you know, but but bar associations, you know, somebody should at least bring to a bar association. Uh, let their the local malpractice carriers come in and and do a seminar on it. They're the, obviously the ones that that have the greatest interest in what's going to happen. So so let the, the various malpractice carriers in the state come in and present CLE courses on on what you should have. And here's our forms, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, and here's the other thing that's interesting too. You also need to to consider um, a written agreement with with other attorneys who might be stepping in to handle your case. How are they going to get paid? You know, they get a personal injury case and you just took the case in, you did nothing really other than get the contract, you get injured, another attorney steps in, settles the case, does all the work in the case and says, okay, now it's time to get paid. Well, that contract was between you and the client. Did you have a contract mm-hmm. between you and the, the attorney? So now the attorney says, well, gee, I did all the work. I need to get the, the full feed, less a little bit of what you did. So if you're going to, 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 to have these type of agreements, also you need to look at what it is that the stepping in attorney, I guess for lack of a better term, is going to be paid. How is their staff going to be paid? So you need to also think about having it in your particular agreement with a client that in the event that something were to happen, you've made arrangements with John Smith or so-and-so to take your file so that the attorney, or I'm sorry, so that the client knows, hey, and you can say to the client, listen, we, we all face this. We never know what's going to happen. And I want you to be very comfortable. If something were to happen to me, then the, the attorney who will step in my place, I've known for five years, he's won millions of dollars, blah, blah, whatever the case may be. So you let that client know, well, okay, fine. I'm, I'm not only covered by you, 
as my attorney, but if something were to happen to you, you got somebody just the same as you would if you're going to associate another attorney in your case. That type mm-hmm. of thing. You got to have that in your in your fee contract. Um, you know, uh, again, as much as as you can possibly get that information out to your secretary. To, to many other paralegals or staff members, okay, here is what will happen. If something were to happen to me, here is what you need to do. Here is the system I put in place. You do this, 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 this. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm saying a lot of things here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through a lot of things, but take a few minutes and contact your local malpractice carrier and ask them, do you have... Uh, any type of program, any type of uh, forms, any type of uh, information that you would share with me so that if um, this were to happen and that malpractice carrier is going to sit there and say, yes, we do, because this is one of the things we are acutely aware of, and we will be glad to help you. Right, and here's another thing that they are acutely aware of. Not only are there temporary medical conditions that could sag an attorney and cause the attorney to not be able to get the work done, there's also uh, what about power outages? What about tornadoes? What about hurricanes? What about all the different other things that can happen um, that can, you know, it doesn't even have to be just a, a, a physical ability. It could be a natural disaster. But again, I think that, Jim, you brought up a good point that I think it all comes back to what is in your engagement agreement. And um, one of the firms I used to work at, we were constantly getting new, the managing partner, and I think he spent more of his time doing nothing else than preparing new and better engagement agreements. And we always had these new replaced and better and most uh, wonderful engagement agreements. And if you put all this stuff up in the in the front end, um, you know, and are having a conversation with a client, you know, here's what happens if I'm temporarily unavailable for anything, but you know, whatever it is, then they know that, and and uh, I think that gives everyone a good peace of mind. And also having that discussed within the firm, um, that should be people should also everyone should know, you know, make a record of things, write things down, uh, so people know. Um, we're almost out of time, Jim. You want to give the folks at home uh, information on how they can get a hold of you for more on this. How they also can get a copy of your book. Sure. If anybody has any questions, you can send me an email at jet j e t at lawyersmarketingresource.com. Again, that's chat at lawyersmarketingresource.com. If you have any questions or would like further information on, on that or if you have any questions on anything we've, we've talked about, and if you'd like a copy of the, uh, the book, um, Why Lawyers Don't Get the Referrals They Need and Deserve, um, I'll be glad to send that to you. It'll be in a PDF form, but um, you know, just let me know, and I'll be glad to send that out. And we are in the process, Nick. I think I mentioned at the last program of revising that and adding um, some more information. So we should be coming out with uh, that book hopefully by the end of February. First, real probably realistically, by the time everything gets put together, probably the first couple of weeks of March. All right. Well, very good. We look forward to it. Uh, next edition. Revised edition, you know, again, is the more that we talk about these things and have these conversations, the more we can spot those issues and deal with them proactively um, because that's the better way to go. Jim, I want to thank you for your time today. Okay, Nick, well, I appreciate it. And, uh, again, I want to wish you and everyone else on the call or who 
eventually listen to the call, a happy new year, and uh, hopefully we'll make this a very, very productive year for everyone. All right, well, that's the plan. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Law Talk Radio. Please be kind and share our programs on your social media feeds because there are all sorts of people out there who are looking for the type of information that we're talking about, and uh, we give our time to bring it all to you all so that everyone can have a better have a better time, run a better law firm, be a happier client, be a happier practitioner, and all that other good stuff. Enjoy January. I hope that the weather improves for everyone out there, and we will be back next week. See you all then. <laughs>